Welcome moms of all stages. If you've ever thought you were a bad mom, if you have, you're in the right place. I'm Jody, your host. I'm a mom of four, a 20-year educator and behavior specialist, and certified life coach. On this podcast, you'll hear about family life at its best and at its worst and everywhere in between. We'll talk about mental health and inclusion and other hard topics, but most importantly, we will talk about how you can define good mom on your terms. You can show up as the mom you want to be starting now. Let's get started. Hi, moms. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is one on interpreting behavior. And I'm using the word translate because sometimes I think that when we say behavior is communication, I think we're speaking a totally different language or we think that our kids are speaking a totally different language and something gets lost in translation and we don't have any idea what they're trying to communicate and they become more frustrated because we invalidate and don't meet them where they are and we can even trigger more intense behaviors or secondary behaviors. So to avoid all of that, what I want to share with you today is some ways that we can be more accurate in our translation of what behavior is communicating. What is the need the human need that's not being met or what is the symptom from their neurodiversity that's getting in the way or maybe what trauma response has been activated and why are they in fight, flight, or freeze mode based on that past trauma. And I'm talking about past emotional trauma that research is showing we all have some at some degree. So now that we have these kind of new scientific research and new information about the way we respond to behavior. And we are thinking of it from that, that it's, it's a translation. And when we have a better, more accurate interpretation, then we're set up to respond in a better way. We have a better starting point for addressing the behavior, because if we don't really understand what it is, what it is, what's causing it, then whatever we're doing in response is kind of like guessing. It's kind of like trying something to see if it makes a difference, but it causes a lot more confusion in many cases. So how do we do this? How how do we interpret this better? I have four steps I want to share with you, and this comes from many observations and interactions with many different behaviors over the years in schools and in my own home and with families where there are kids who struggle with behaviors. The first step is to not make any assumptions. In fact, the only assumption, if you're going to make one, is to assume that the person who's behaving in a maladaptive way would behave better if they could. That's the only assumption to make. Often we make assumptions like they're trying to get attention, they're being manipulative, 
they are avoiding something or we just make all these guesses. And for those of you in the education world, this is something where you've probably heard that there's a function for every behavior. And while that argument could probably be made personally, I have not found that process of trying to find the function of the behavior as useful as thinking of what is the need that the child is trying to meet? What is the human need? And or what symptom is being manifested by this behavior if they have neurodiversity going on? And with current research on trauma, I also feel like the function of the behavior as it relates to trauma kind of adds an extra layer of confusion that I think if a child is experiencing trauma, then the function of the behavior is to get out of the trauma, is to not reactivate the trauma. For anyone who either works in the school or as parents, if you're in meetings talking about behaviors and functional behavior assessments, that might come up. And I just wanted to share that side note. And that's, again, that's just my take on deciding on function. I'm not saying that it's not always useful to look at behavior that way. But the second way we want to be accurate is to drop old stories And what I mean by that is that there are so many stories about behavior that we have been telling or have passed down, been passed down to us, and we just keep believing them without questioning them. So some of them are just those things that I mentioned, just making assumptions that they're wanting attention. But there's other stories about behavior, like if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? Or that... Um, What's another behavior story we hear all the time? Another story we hear for behavior a lot is they are pushing the limits to see how far they can go, that all kids will do that. And I just want to point out that these stories are sometimes true, but we tend to say them all the time for all kinds of behaviors and just be aware of the old stories and Try to catch yourself when you tend to rely on one of those old stories and overgeneralize. Okay, and then the third one is to be scientific. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of current research out there. And so if you are being scientific about trying to interpret behavior, then you're looking at it through the lens of their brain is trying to meet a need, it's trying to protect, or there's a symptom of their illness that's manifesting. Those are all scientific. And along those same lines, when you're being scientific, you can also think of yourself as being a scientist in the sense of really being curious about what could be going on for the child or the teen or whoever's behaving in a way that seems like it doesn't match the expectations and being extra observant often is to be thinking about the body language that you see the even the changes in the coloring in their face their their proximity their 
the way they're either leaning in or leaning back or looking away, having eye contact or not, um, having their shoulders droop down, those types of body language. And then also just whether you see if their face is red or if they, if all the color drains out of their face, there's so many different ways that we can see those differences if we're really being like a scientist and we're being extra observant. So the last one, and this one is the one (laughs) seems so obvious, but it's the one we don't do and probably gives us the most information and the best chance of accuracy. Also, the best one that I have is to ask them directly. So even kids that are little, there's ways to just ask them. And this is for kids who maybe even have communication deficits or difficulties. We still can communicate and just ask what is getting in the way. And it's really important to note that wording because when you do ask directly, One way you don't want to say it is to just ask, why did you do that? Asking kids or teens why, or even adults, why they did a behavior is a recipe for absolute automatic defensiveness. Something about asking why that just makes someone feel like they're being judged, like they did something wrong and someone is questioning their intelligence or their, you know, there's just something in there that feels like you have to defend yourself when someone asks you why you did a behavior. Whereas the original wording I said was what's going on for you. That seems to convey more empathy and more compassion and more curiosity. Another way that you can phrase the question when you're asking kids in particular, you can say, What's getting in the way for whatever behavior you want? So if they're not doing their homework, for example, you could say, what's getting in the way of doing your homework? Another way is to say, why is this really hard for you right now? What's going on for you that's making this so hard? Those are all ways to just ask directly what's going on. This I have found to be, like I said, totally underutilized and really one of the best ways to find out and and to accurately <laughs> translate whatever behavior is going on even if it's a behavior like lying or stealing or hitting or kicking there's for any specific behavior these four things can really help you to get a better clearer and more accurate understanding of what the behavior is actually communicating. And then when it when you understand that whatever the problem is for the child or whatever the the barrier is or whatever the you know the symptom that's related to it, then that's how you can respond in a much more effective way than making these assumptions and guessing or you falling on these old stories that we've heard before about behavior and then applying again, applying these old ways that we're not finding are effective anymore. 
And instead, when you understand the behavior really well and you're thinking of it in terms of a scientist, so you're understanding either their diagnosis or their trauma history, then you're going to be able to respond in a better way. And I will do another podcast episode on how to respond to the behaviors. But for this one, we're just trying to understand and translate what the behaviors are communicating. So one last recap real quick. The first thing you want to do is stop making any assumptions about what the behavior is communicating because assumptions are, first of all, not very accurate usually. And number two, they also can bring up, they can activate our own resistance or negative emotion around the behavior. And then we go into kind of that fight, flight, or freeze response. And that isn't going to help us activate the part of our brain we need to have activated, which is our higher order thinking to then be able to be curious. And then the second one is to drop those old stories that we've just come to believe over time. And number three is to be the scientist in terms of being curious, being observant, and accessing or applying current research about what we know about neurodiversity. And the last one is to ask them directly. (laughs) When you ask them directly, however, do not say, why did you do the behavior? Instead, ask, what is getting in the way? What's going on for you? Or some form of the question that doesn't use the word, why did you do that? (laughs) All right. That's what I have for you this week. I hope you found this one extra helpful and I will be following up with how we respond to these challenging behaviors. I will see you next week. If you like this podcast, please rate and review so we can spread the word to other moms who are going through the same thing. You can also find me over on Instagram You'll find links to my website there, information about my coaching program, and free resources. Thank you again for joining me. Have a great week, and please rate and review.